0: Chapter One of Mrs. Warren's Daughter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox. LibriVox.org. Mrs. Warren's Daughter by Sir Harry Johnston. Chapter One. Vivie and Norie. The date when this story begins is a Saturday afternoon in June, nineteen hundred about three p m the scene is the western room of a suite of offices on the fifth floor of a house in chancery lane the offices of fraser and warren consultant actuaries and accountants there is a long window facing west the central part of which is open affording a passage out on to a parapet through this window and still better from the parapet outside may be seen the picturesque spires and turrets of the law courts a glimpse here and there of the mellow red brick white windowed houses of new square the tree-tops of lincoln's inn fields and the hint beyond a steepled and chimneyed horizon of the wooded heights of highgate all this outlook is flooded with the brilliant sunshine of june scarcely dimmed by the city smoke and fumes in the room itself there are on each of the tables vases of flowers and a bunch of dark red roses on the top of the many pigeon bureau at which vivian warren is seated the walls are mainly covered with bookshelves well filled with consultative works on many diverse subjects there is another series of shelves crowded with neat green tin boxes containing the papers of clients a dark green and purple portiere partly conceals the entry into a washing-place, which is further fitted with a gas stove for cooking, and cupboards for crockery and provisions. At the opposite end of the room is a door which opens into a small bedroom. The fireplace in the main room is fitted with the best and least smelly kind of gas stove obtainable in 1900 there are two square tables covered with piles of documents neatly tied with green tape and ranged round the central vase of flowers a heavy squat earthenware vase not easily knocked over and there is a second bureau with pigeon holes and a roll-top similar to the one at which vivian warren is seated this is for the senior partner honoria Fraser between the bureaus there is plenty of space for access to the long west window and consequently to the parapet which can be used like a balcony two small arm-chairs in green leather on either side of the fireplace two office chairs at the tables complete the furniture of the partners room of fraser and warren as you would have seen it twenty years ago the rest of their offices consisted of a landing from which a lift and a staircase descended, a waiting-room for clients pleasantly furnished, a room in which two female clerks worked, and off this a small room tenanted by an office-boy. You may also add in imagination an excellent lavatory for the clerks, two telephones, one in the partners' room, hidden safes, wall maps, and you must visualize everything as pleasing in color, green, white, and purple, flooded with light, clean, tidy, and admirably adapted for business in the city. Vivian Warren, as already mentioned, was, as the curtain goes up, seated at her bureau, reading a letter. The letter was headed Camp Hospital, Colesburg, Cape Colony, May second, 1900 and ran thus dearest vivie here i am still but my leg is mending fast the enteric was the worst trouble that is over and done with though i am the colour of a pigskin saddle my leg won't let me frisk just yet but otherwise i feel as strong as a horse when i was bowled over three months ago and the enteric got hold of me on top of the bullet through my thigh i lost my self-control and asked the people here to cable to you to come and nurse me it was silly perhaps the nursing here is quite efficient and if anyone was to have come out on my account it ought to have been the poor old mater who wanted to very much but somehow i could think only of you i wanted you more than i'd ever done before i hoped somehow your heart might be touched and you might come out and nurse me and then out of pity marry me won't you do so owing to my stiff leg i dare say i shall be invalided out of the army and get a small wound pension and i've a project which will make lots of money up in rhodesia a tip i've had from a man in the know i'm going to take up some land near salisbury ripping country and climate and all that and it would suit you down to the ground you could put all that warren business behind you forget it all drop the name start a new career as mrs frank gardner and find an eternally devoted husband in the man that signs this letter i've been out here long enough to be up to all the ropes and i've already made a bit of money in rhodesia before the war broke out and i got a commission "'At any rate, I've enough to start on as a married man, "'enough to give you a decent outfit and your passage out here "'and have a honeymoon before we start work on our future home. "'Darling Vivie. do think about it. "'You'd never regret it. "'I'm a very different Frank to the silly ass "'you knew in the old Hazelmere days. "'Now here's a five-pound note to cover the cost of a full cable "'to say yes, and when you'll be ready to start.' When I get your answer, somehow I think it'll be yes, I'll send you a draft on a London bank to pay for a suitable trousseau and your passage from London to Cape Town, and, of course, I'll come and meet you there, where we can be married. I shan't sleep properly till I get your yes. Your ever-loving and always faithful Frank p s there's a poor fellow here in the same ward dying i should say of necrosis of the jaw vavasour williams is his name or a part of his name his father was at cambridge with my old man and isn't it rum he was a pupil of Praddy's. he mucked his school and varsity career thought next he'd like to be an architect or a scene-painter my dad recommended Praddy as a master he worked in the prod studio but got the chuck over some foolery then as he couldn't face his poor old governor he enlisted in the bekwana land border police came out to south africa and got let in for this show the doctors and nurses give him about a month and he doesn't know it he can't talk much owing to his jaw being tied up usually he writes me messages all about going home and being a good boy "'turning over a new leaf, and so on. "'I suppose the last person you ever see nowadays "'is the Reverend Sam Gardner. "'You know, they hawked him out of Woodcut. "'He got preferment, as he calls it, "'and a cure of souls at Margate. "'Rather rough on the dear old mater, bless her always. "'She so liked the hind-head country. "'But if you run up against Proddy, you might let him know, "'and he might get into touch with Babasor Williams's people.' Twig, F.G. Vivie rose to her feet halfway through this letter and finished it standing by the window. She was tall, say five feet eight, about twenty-five years of age, with a well-developed athletic figure set off by a smart tailor-made gown of grey cloth yet although she might be called a handsome woman she would easily have passed for a good-looking young man of twenty had she been wearing male costume her brown-gold hair was disposed of with the least ostentation possible and with no fluffiness her eyebrows were too well furnished for femininity and nearly met when she frowned a too frequent practice as was the belligerent look from her steely grey eyes with their beautiful Irish setting of long dark lashes. She had a straight nose and firm rounded chin, a rather determined look about the mouth, lower lip too much drawn in as if from perpetual self-repression. But all this severity disappeared when she smiled and showed her faultless teeth, the complexion was clear though a little tanned from deliberate exposure in athletics altogether a woman that might have been described as jolly good-looking if it had not been that whenever any man looked at her something hostile and forbidding came into the countenance and the eyebrows formed an angry bar of hazel-brown above the dark-lashed eyes but her young man look won for her many a feminine friendship which she impatiently repelled, for sentimentality disgusted her. The door of the partner's room opened, and in walked Honoria Fraser. She was probably three years older than Vivie, and likewise a well-favoured woman, a little more matronly in appearance, somewhat after the style of a married actress who really loves her husband, and has preserved her own looks wonderfully, though no one would take her for less than twenty-eight at the sight of her vivie lost her frown and tossed the letter on to the bureau honoria fraser had been lunching with friends in portland place Honoria, what a swatter you are i thought i should find you here i suppose the staff departed punctually at one i've come back expressly from the michael rossiters to carry you off to them or rather to Q, they're going to have tea with the Thistleton Dyers, and then revel in azaleas and roses. I shall go out and charter a hansom, and we'll drive down. It'll be some compensation for your having worked extra hard whilst I've been away. I met such a delightful man at the Rossiters, slightly flushing. Don't look at me so reproachfully. There are delightful men, a few in existence. This one has been wounded in South Africa, and he's so good-looking, though the back of his head is scarred, and he'll always walk with a limp. Now then, why do you look so solemn? Put on your hat. Vivie. I look solemn because I'm just considering a proposal of marriage, or rather the fewest words in which I can refuse it. I don't think I want to go to Kew at all. Much sooner we had tea together here on the roof. Nori i suppose it's frank gardner again as i see his handwriting on that envelope well i'm sorry about q i should have enjoyed it vivie bitterly i expect it's that delightful man that attracts you Nori, nonsense i'm vowed to virginity like you are i really don't care if i ever see major armstrong again though he certainly is rather a darling very good-looking and do you know he's almost a pro boar though the Boers ambushed him says this war's a beastly mistake well i'll have tea here instead if you like and we can talk business which we haven't done for a fortnight i must get out of the way of paying visits in the country they make one so discontented with the city afterwards i've had a feeling lately i should like to have been a farmer too much of the work of the firm has been thrown on you "'but there's lots and lots I want to talk over. "'I abandon Q willingly, and as to Major Armstrong, "'however, he can always find my address if he cares to. Vivie sits down in one of the armchairs, "'and Norry takes the other. "'Oh, don't pity me. "'I love hard work and work which interests me. "'And as to working for you, "'you know there's nothing I wouldn't—' Norry, oh, stow that. "'You've been a full-fledged partner for a year "'and ought to be getting callous or suspicious. "'I did take some money out of the petty cash yesterday. "'I must remember to put it down. "'I took quite a lot for theatre tickets, "'and you may be suspecting Bertie Adams. "'We can't call this an Adamless Eden, can we? "'I wonder why we keep an office boy and not an office girl. "'I suppose such things will soon be coming into being.' We've women clerks and typewriteresses. Adams, I notice, is growing, and he has a trace of a moustache and is already devoted to you, dog-like. Vivie, He's still more devoted to cricket, fortunately, and as soon as Rose and Lillian had gone off, he was off too, only I fancy he discards Regent's Park now in favor of Hendon or Herne Hill. Norrie. Now about Frank Gardner vivie yes that cablegram let's frame it and send it off as soon as we can then get tea ready talking of tea i was just thinking before frank's letter came how much good you'd done me in many other ways than setting me up in business norry shut up vivie how when we first worked together i used to think it necessary to imitate men by drinking an occasional whisky and soda though i loathe spirits AND SMOKING A CIGAR, UGH, AND HOW YOU DREW ME BACK TO TEA AND A SELF-RESPECTING WOMANLINESS, CHINA TEA, OF COURSE, AND CIGARETTES. WHY SHOULD WE HAVE WANTED TO BE LIKE MEN, MUCH BETTER TO BE THE NEW WOMAN. AS TO FRANK'S CABLEGRAM, GOES TO BUREAU, TRIES OVER SEVERAL DRAFTS OF MESSAGE, CONSULTS POSTAL GUIDE AS TO CABLE RATES PER WORD, AND READS ALOUD. "'How's this? Captain Frank Gardner, Camp Hospital, Colesburg, Cape Colony. "'Sorry, must say no. Best wishes, recovery. Writing, Vivie. "'That'll cost just two pounds, and out of the balance I shall buy a good parcel of books to send him, "'and some strawberries and cakes for our tea.' "'Therewith she puts on hat carefully, for she is always very particular in a young gentlemanly way about her appearance.' goes out to send off cablegram from Chancery Lane post-office, buy strawberries and cakes from Fleet Street shops, and so back to the office by four o'clock. Meantime, Norrie is reading through some of the recent correspondence on the file. Vivie, on her return, Poof! It was hot in Fleet Street. I'm sorry for poor Frankie, because he seems to have set his heart on marrying me, but I do hope he will take this answer as final. Nori, i suppose you are not refusing him for the same old reason that vague suggestion that he might be your half-brother vivie oh no besides i pretty well know for a fact he isn't he simply couldn't be i'm absolutely sure my father wasn't sam gardner any more than george crofts was i believe it was a young irish seminarist some student for the priesthood whom my mother met in belgium the year before i was born if I ever find out more, I will tell you. You haven't seen Soapy Sam, the vicar of Woodcote, or that beast George Crofts, but if you had, you'd be as sure as I am that neither of them was my father, thank goodness. As to Frank, yes, for a short time I was fond of him, till I learnt about my mother's profession. It was rather a silly sort of fondness. He was two years younger than I— I suppose my feeling for him was half motherly. I neither encouraged him nor did I repel him. I think I was experimenting. I rather wanted to know what it felt like to be kissed by a man. Frank was a nice creature, so far as a man can be. But all those horrid revelations that broke up our summer stay at Hazelmere four years ago, when I ran away to you, gave me an utter disgust for marriage and what a life mine would have been if I had married him then, or after he went out to South Africa. Ghastly! Want of money would have made us hate one another, and Frank would have been sure to become patronizing. Because I was without a father in the legitimate way, he would have thought he was conferring a great honor on me by marrying me, and would probably have expected me to drudge for him while he idled his time away. Oh, and I think what a life I have led here with you, full of interesting work and bright prospects, free from money anxieties. Dearest, dearest Norrie, I can't thank you enough. No, I'm not going to be sentimental. The new woman is never that. I'm going to get the tea ready, and after we've had tea on the balcony, we really must go into business matters. Your being away so much the last fortnight, things have accumulated that I did not like to decide for myself. Norry, speaking rather louder as Vivie is now busy in the adjoining roomlet, boiling the kettle on the gas stove and preparing the tea. "'Yes, and I've got lots to talk over with you. All sorts of plans have come into my head. I don't know whether I've been eating anything more than usually brain-stimulating—everything has a physical basis—but I've come back from the scattered holiday full of new ideas.' Presently, they are seated on camp stools, sipping tea, eating strawberries and cakes under the striped sun blind. Norrie continues, Do you remember Beryl Clarges at Noonham? Vivie, Yes, the pretty girl. Short curly hair, brown eyes, rather full lips, good at mathematics, hockey, purposely shocked you by her outspokenness. Well, Norrie. "'Well, she's had a baby a month ago, awful rumpus with her people. "'Fathers, Dean Clarges, Norwich, or Ely, I forget which. "'They've put her in a nursing home in Seymour Street. "'Mother wears a lace mantilla and cries softly. "'Beryl went wrong, as they call it, with an architect. Vivie, pass your cup. Don't take all the strawberries. Norrie, sorry, absence of mind. I've left you three fat ones.' architect strange i always thought all architects were like proddy had no passions except for bricks and mortar and chiselled stone and gig iron grills. perhaps just a thrill over a nude statue why till you told me this i'd as soon have trusted my daughter if i had one with an architect as with a colonel of engineers you know the kind that believes in the identity of the ten lost tribes with the british and is a true protestant poor beryl but how what when why norrie i think it began at cambridge the acquaintance did later it developed into a passion he had already one wife in sussex somewhere and four children he took a flat for her in town, a studio, because Barry had given up mathematics and was going in for sculpture, and there, whenever he could get away from Storington or some such place, and from his city office, he used to visit Beryl. This had been going on for three years, but last February she had to break it to her mother that she was six months gone. The other wife knows all about it, but refuses to divorce the naughty architect and at the same time has cut off supplies what cowards men are and how little women stand by women and then it's a poor deanery and beryl has five younger brothers that have got to be educated her sculpture was little more than commissions executed for her architect's building and i expect that resource will now disappear i half think i shall bring her in here when she is well again she's got a very good headpiece and you know we are expanding our business she'd make a good house agent she writes sometimes for country life vivie yes but you can't provide for many more of our college mates any more gone wrong norrie it depends how you qualify wrong I really don't see that it is wronger for a young woman to yield to Storge and have a baby out of wedlock than for a man to engender that baby. Society doesn't damn the man, unless he's a cabinet minister or a cleric, but it does its best to ruin the woman, unless she's an actress or a singer. If a woman likes to go through all the misery of pregnancy and the pangs of delivery on her own account and without being legally tied up with a man, why can't she beryl at any rate is quite unashamed and says she shall have as many children as her earnings support that it will be great fun choosing their sires more variety in their types is she the new woman i wonder vivie well the whole thing bores me i suppose i am embittered and disgusted i am sick of all this sexual nonsense yes after all i approve of the marriage tie it takes away the romance of love and it's that romance which is usually so time-wasting and so dangerous it conceals often a host of horrors but i'm a sort of neuter all i want in life is hard work a cause to fight for revenge revenge on man god how i hate men how i despise them we can do anything they can if we train and educate I have taken to your business because it is one of the crafty paths we can follow to creep into man's fastnesses of the law the stock market the banks and actuarial work nori my dear you have quite a platform manner already i predict you will soon be addressing audiences of rebellious women but i am more the booker washington of my sex i want women to work even at quite humble things before they insist on equal rights with man at any rate i want to help them to make an honest livelihood without depending on some one man business seems to be good eh if the first half of this year is equalled by the second i should think there would be a profit to be divided of quite a thousand pounds vivie quite of course we are regular pirates None of the actuarial or accountancy corporations will admit women, so we can't pass exams and call ourselves chartered actuaries or incorporated accountants. But if women clients choose to consult us, there's no law to prevent them or to make our giving advice illegal. So we advise and estimate and do accounts and calculate probabilities. Then, although we can't call ourselves solicitors, we can, or at any rate we do— give legal advice we can't figure on the stock exchange but we can advise clients about their investments and buy and sell stock and real estate by the by i want you to give me your opinion on the tithe question the liability on that kent fruit farm we are consulted on contracts i'm going to start a women authors branch and perhaps a tourist agency some day we will have a woman's publishing business we'll set up a women's printing press a paper mill of course as you know i'm working hard on law not only to understand men's roguery in every direction but so that if necessary i can add pleading in the courts to some other women's solicitor work that's going to be my first struggle with man to claim admittance to the bar if we can once breach that rampart the vote must inevitably follow oh how we have been dumb before our shearers the rottenness of man's law, the perjury, corruption, waste of time, special pleading that go on in our male courts of injustice, the verdicts of male juries. Norry, Just so. But can't you find a little time to be social? Why be so morose? For instance, why not come and be introduced to Michael Rossiter? He's a dear, amazingly clever, a kind of prophet— your one confidant, Stead, thinks a lot of him. Vivie. Dear Norrie, I can't. I swore two years ago I would drop society and run no risk of being found out as Mrs. Warren's daughter. That beast George Crofts revenged himself because I wouldn't marry him by letting it be known here and there that I was the daughter of the notorious Mrs. Warren. Whereupon several of the people I liked, you remember, dropped me, the Byrne Joneses, the Lacrevies or if it wasn't Crofts, some other swine did. But for the fact that it would upset our style as a firm I could change my name, call myself something quite different. Do you know I've sometimes thought I'd cut my hair short and dress in men's clothes and go out into the world as a man? My voice is almost a tenor. Such a lark I'd get admitted to the bar. But the nuisance about that would be the references i'm an outlaw you see through no fault of my own i couldn't give you as a reference and i don't know any man who would be generous enough to take the risk of participating in the fraud unless it was prod good old proddy i'm sure it's been done now and again they call judge Fitzsimmons an old woman well do you know i believe he is a wise old woman nori well by do we till our firm is doing a roaring business I can pretend then to take in a male partner, perhaps. Rose and Lillian are very hard-working, and we can't afford to lose them yet. If you appeared one morning dressed as a young man, they might throw up their jobs and go elsewhere. Vivie, you may be quite sure I won't let you down. Moreover, I haven't the money for any vagaries yet, though I have an instinct that it is coming. You know those Charles Davis shares I bought at five shillings, three pennies? Well, they rose to twenty-nine shillings whilst you were away, so I sold out. We had three hundred, and that, less commissions, made about three hundred and fifty pounds profit, the boldest coup we have had yet, and all because I spotted that new find of emery powder in Tripoli, saw it in a consular report. I want to be rich and therefore powerful, Norrie. Then people will forget fast enough about my shameful parentage. Norrie. How is she? do you ever hear from or of her now vivie i haven't heard from her for two years since i left her letters unanswered but i hear of her every now and again no not through crofts i suppose you know if you take any interest in that wretch that since he married that american quakeress he took his name off the warren hotels company and sold out much of his interest he's now living in great respectability breeding race-horses they even say he's given up whisky he's got a son and has endowed six cots in a children's hospital no i think it must be mother who has notices posted to me probably through that scoundrel back strange ways generally in the london argus and the vie de paris cracking up the warren hotels in brussels berlin budapest and rouge Prune. what a comedy there's my aunt liz in winchester mrs canon won't know me i'm too compromising but i'm sure her money-bags have been filled at one time perhaps are still out of the profits on mother's hotels norry i didn't remember your aunt was married or rather i suppose i did but thought she was a widow real or soi-disant. vivie so she is after four years of happy married life my uncle canon Burstel oh what a screaming joke the whole thing is I doubt if he was aware he had a niece. Don't you remember he was killed in the Alps last autumn? Norrie, I remember you're going down to see your aunt after you broke off relations with your mother in—in 1897? Vivie, yes, I wanted to see how the land lay and not judge anyone unfairly. Besides, I—I I didn't like being dependent entirely on you at that time for support, and Prade was in Italy. I knew that Aunt Liz, like mother, was illegitimate, and guessed she had once made her living in the higher walks of prostitution. She was a stockbroker's mistress at one time. But she had married and settled down in Winchester. She met her canon, the Alpine traveller, in Switzerland. I felt if she took no money from mother's houses, I could perhaps make a home with her, or at any rate have some kith and kin to go to. She had no children— but i must have told you all this years ago she almost pushed me out of her house for fear i should stay till the cannon came in from the afternoon service denied everything threatened me as though i was a blackmailer almost looked as if she could have killed me and buried me in the garden of the canonry. i've examined the business of the warren hotels limited since then but it's a private company and all its doings are so cleverly concealed Aunt Liz doesn't figure amongst the shareholders any more than Crofts does. That horrid Bax holds most of the shares now, and mother the rest. Yet Aunt Liz must be rich, and she certainly didn't get it from the canon, who only left a net personality of under four thousand pounds. I read his will at Somerset House. She has had her portrait in the Queen, because she gave a large subscription to the underpinning of Winchester Cathedral and the restoration of Wolvesy as a clergy house mother must be very rich i should judge from certain indications i expect she will retire from the hotel some day wipe out the past and buy a new present with her money she'll have her portrait in the queen some day as a vice-president of the girls friendly society and yet she's such a gambler and a rake that she may get pinched over the white slave traffic i was on tender hooks over that lewison case the other day fearing every moment to see mother's name mixed up with it, or else an allusion to her hotels. But I fancy she has been wise enough—indeed, I should guess that Aunt Liz had long ago warned her to leave England alone as a recruiting-ground, and to collect her chambermaids, waitresses, musicians, typists, from the continent only—Austria, Alsace, Bohemia, Belgium, Italy, the Rhineland, Paris, Russia, Poland— Knowing what we British people are, can't you almost predict the bias of Aunt Liz's mind? How she would solace herself that her dividends were not derived from the prostitution of English girls, but only of foreigners? Norry, you seem to have studied the geography of the business pretty thoroughly. Vivie, bitterly yes i have talked it over with stead from time to time i believe he has only spared mother and the warren hotels out of consideration for me he wants me to change my surname and give myself a chance Norrie, i see pausing of course it is rather an idea as you refuse to disguise yourself by marriage you change your name and then listen with equanimity to fulminations against the warren hotels but there would be an awkwardness in the firm. We oughtn't to change our title just as we are getting a good clientele. I must think, if only we could pretend you'd been left some property, but that sort of lie is soon found out, and had to change your name to—to—to—oh, well, we could soon think of some name beginning with a W, Walters, Wadilove, waterlove is a delicious name in cold weather suggesting cotton wool or a warm duvet or wilson or wilberforce but i'm afraid this staff rose mullet and lily steins and the amorous bertie adams would think it odd put two and two together and guess right warren after all is such a common name and we've got so used to our three helpers we could hardly turn them off and take on new people whom perhaps we couldn't trust. We must think it over. Now I must get back to Queen Anne's mansions and sit a little while with Mummy. Come and dine with us. There'll be only us three, no horrid man to fall in love with you. You needn't put on a low dress. And we'll go to the dress circle at some play afterwards. Vivie but those papers on my desk i must have your opinion for or against norry all right it's half past five i'll give them half an hour's study whilst you wash up the tea things and titivate then we'll take a hansom to cranchion's the underground is so grimy end of chapter 1